Welcome to Impact Audio, a podcast at the bustling intersection of philanthropy, social impact, and technology. I'm Rachel Mandel, and it's great to be with you. Today's episode features Leon Wilson, Chief of Digital Innovation and Chief Information Officer at the Cleveland Foundation. Leon joined Submittable Sam Kaplan for a conversation about breaking into philanthropy tech and leading with a strategic community focus. Although you'll hear Leon briefly discuss his background, I'd highly encourage you to check out his full bio on the webpage for this episode. Leon brings a wealth of unique expertise to his professional role and to conversations like this one. Thanks for being with us today, and please enjoy. Leon Wilson of the Cleveland Foundation, you are my special guest on Impact Audio. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Leon, what I thought we might do just to get started here is like, I would love to hear just a little bit about like your journey, um, sort of like, you know, from your, your beginnings in Detroit to, uh, you know, what led you to, to your current role in the Cleveland Foundation? Sure, I'd be more than happy to. So, as you mentioned, I'm a native from Detroit, Michigan. That's where I went to high school, and that's where I fell in love with working with computers back in high school. I I was fortunate to go to a public high school where we had a computer lab in there. It was more of a prep high school. Um, It's the same school that People like Diana Ross went to. If you were if you were someone in Detroit, you went to my high school. Uh, but that alone, I went to undergraduate in computer science at Michigan State University, stuck that out, and then from there, moved on to corporate IT. And I spent about 20 years in various working in various corporations, both in-house as in-house staff, um, IT managers, IT directors, things of that nature, in a lot of different industries. And as well, I also spent some time consulting, acting as a consulting for Fortune 500 companies and so forth. So I had a very um, eclectic you know, career in and clearbase, whether it was the auto industry, the healthcare industry, the consumer goods industry, the banking industry, the real estate industry. I actually, I'm always proud to say that tools that people use today, like Zillow and Trulia, I was designing tools like that uh, back in, in back in 19 what 96 with a with a 24 baud modem. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had a, a 300 baud modem when I bought my very first uh, Atari 400 with my yeah. bar mitzvah money back in the early 80s. Yeah, but um, nonetheless, um, while I was working in corporate IT and I was working in um, at a Blue Cross Blue Shield back in Michigan, I got it. I got a um, call from a recruiter wanting to go work for a nonprofit. And surprisingly, when I first heard a job opportunity working for a nonprofit, I joked and said, well, you guys can't afford me. (laughs) Um, And I just pretty much discarded it. But then the recruiter was very persistent, reached back out to me and I said, well, let me see the job description. And after looking at the job description, I have to tell you, Sam, that the opportunity to kind of lead and leverage all the skills and contributions that I did throughout my career and able to center that and help work with nonprofits just was very attractive. And I was looking to make a different kind of shift anyway at that time in my career. So I did that. And that's what led me down a rabbit hole of working in nonprofits, nonprofit tech, getting more familiar with philanthropies, major foundations back in Michigan. And then when this opportunity presented itself here in Cleveland, Ohio, working for the Cleveland Foundation, I jumped at the opportunity and I've been I've been um, I haven't been underwhelmed with the opportunities I have working at the Cleveland Foundation. So you said like you were you were looking for something different and I'm paraphrasing a little here but mm-hmm. you know it, it feels like 
sort of a common thread with a lot of technologists who land in the nonprofit sector is that many of us reach a point in our career where we are looking for something different. What was that? What was that for you? What What were you looking for that was different? Well, for me, I was hitting a wall as far as succession and moving up, moving up the um, the chain, as the hierarchical chain at my organization. So as I looked at this opportunity to be more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and take more risk and be given a lot more leeway and opportunity, I took advantage of making a lateral move instead of a vertical move. And from that, again, yes, I gave up, you know, bonuses, annual bonuses and stuff like that. But the opportunities that it, it, it lended me put me in positions to really network with the right people to build my my um, bench strength as far as um, strategic planning, strategic analysis, really understanding technology from a strategy standpoint and helping organizations, small and mid-sized organizations, better understand how they can leverage technology to support their particular mission. Yeah. Perfect. So, you know, one one thing, Leon, that I have always really loved about you is that you're a different kind of cat in the sense that you are very attuned to innovation. And I, I would describe you as, as, I would go so far as to say, I think you're a pundit, right? You think a lot about <laughs> how technology may benefit us at some point, like years down the road. Do you feel like that's something that you brought with you from your corporate career? Is that just like part of your DNA? Like how, how did, what led you to being such an innovator? Well, I was always fascinated with whatever company I was working in, developing a mastery for that industry. And with that mastery of that industry about how the industry works, then I was able to better understand the role that technology plays in that industry. So I was I, that's just something that the way I always thought, and it helped me immensely as far as I navigated working on special projects and really being able to synthesize what the value proposition for certain systems, certain tools, certain devices, and things of that nature. Now, when I took that skill set and went in the nonprofit sector, where I had to be far more entrepreneurial than I ever had been. Now I had to start thinking about strategy because at the time when I worked at a nonprofit, I was running what would be called a managed service provider, but for nonprofits. So I had to then market my service. I had to market my product. I had to be more strategic thinking about price points and things of that nature. And also because I'm now charged with helping nonprofits leverage technology, I had to go deeper than, as you said, the basic blocking and tackling of infrastructures, emails, and things of that nature, and really start to listen to what are other organizations using that I want to then bring that expertise and knowledge and thought leadership to those mid to small size nonprofits so they can capitalize on that. Right. And so speaking of those like nonprofits, so you you work at the Cleveland Foundation. I think it's the oldest community foundation in the country. And World. I think one area where, where you and I differ a little bit is that while we both really enjoy um, thinking about like cutting edge technology and innovation and, and, you know, sort of reimagining how technology can reshape the social sector. I tend to sort of keep my head up in the clouds there, right? You are, you're more boots on the ground working with these nonprofits, right? And, and I think your perspective has been that for many nonprofits, they're not, they don't really care about like machine learning and artificial intelligence and cryptocurrency, right? Like they're still, they're still struggling to get the basics, right? 
No, you're absolutely right. But then you have to look at the dynamics of a nonprofit. I mean, most people, when they start a nonprofit or when they go to become executive director for a nonprofit, they're doing it because of a calling. They're doing it because they're mission driven. They're compelled to try to tackle some type of socially wicked problem or issue or something of that nature. And with that, that's where their focus is. They're not coming in from with a Harvard MBA and want to try to grow the RI and grow and grow the business from, you know, one million to 10 million in the next three years from that standpoint and trying to look at quarterly results from a financial perspective to cater to shareholders and stockholders and things of that nature. They're driven to, with their board, they're driven to how are they making an impact in the, in the community that they're trying to serve. So they're very focused on that almost to a fault because then a lot of times that doesn't lend them time or mental capacity to think about how they ought to be investing in technology to help propel their work. Right, right. All right. So you have a dual role at the Cleveland Foundation. You are the chief of digital innovation and the chief information officer. So one thing that I think is just super fascinating about what you do is that in addition to being the CIO, like you also get to work with nonprofits in your community and, and make grants to help support the work of those nonprofits, right? Yes, I do. So tell me about that. Like, how does one influence the other? So when you're spending your days, when you have your CIO hat on at the Cleveland Foundation and you're thinking about like your staff and how you, you know, help center the grantee experience and how you expedite grant making and how you, you know, make it a, you know, a great experience for all the the individuals in Cleveland who donate to the foundation and make grants through your organization. Like, how does that influence you thinking about technology when, when you are then interacting with the nonprofits who are trying to sort of like do this mission critical work? Well, so to your point, as a CIO, I'm looking at it from the user experience when I'm looking at the, when I'm looking at the grantee for that standpoint. How are they interacting with our systems? How are we capturing data? How are we engaging with them through tools and technologies and, and so forth? How are our various staff members leveraging all those tools so they can accelerate the deployment of funds or to make more smarter, better decisions about our funding or for our advancement team? Because, because of the community foundation, we're also doing fundraising. How are they using using analytics, how are they using data to do prospecting for future donors and future benefactors and their nature, um, partnering with their estate attorneys and people like that. Those skill sets, just basically being a CIO, it, it helps shape how I now interact with nonprofits as a grantee when I'm a particular funder, because now when they're coming to us for some form of a technology-centric grant, I'm using my CIO experience to see, are they asking all the right questions? Are they looking at all the right things? Do they truly capture the total cost of ownership for that particular software tool, that particular system? Are they engaging with the right client, custom, right um, contractors and consultants? How are they going to leverage, how are they going to be able to maintain this after our funding goes away? So I take that CIO expertise as a technologist because they typically don't have a technologist on their staff. And nine times out of 10, they don't have a technologist on their board. So they're at the at the mercy of some consultant that is telling them, here's what you need. Here's what you need to do. Here's how much it should cost you and all that kind of stuff. As a CIO, I'm able to sniff through, you know, the sizzle and steak and the fluff and what's being inflated, what's being underflated and things of that nature to then help push back and challenge them to say, here are some other things you need to be factoring in. If you really want to address your social mission, you need to be doing this, you need to be factoring this in. So I I truly believe that being a CIO, it helps me look at those particular technology-centric grants um, more keenly. 
And I would say that for any CIO at any foundation who would have the opportunity to participate with their program officers and program directors, for the program officers and program directors, that's the value proposition that that CIO, that VPIT brings. They understand the nuances of that technology, what questions ought to be asked, what's being missed, what's being overlooked, so they can really help shape that grant proposal more, more, more finely. So there, there is an, a, an additional role for a CIO for a grant maker that goes beyond just managing the technology within the walls of their their own foundation. You're saying, right? Like in other words, yeah. we should be getting much more involved with the uh, uh, the nonprofits and helping them think through the role of technology with their interventions. Absolutely, if their foundation will let them, if their foundation will allow them, if their foundation will endorse it and see the value in doing so then yeah, the CIO would then have the opportunity to provide that particular value addedness to that. Now, that being said, as you mentioned earlier along about me, where I'm not just thinking about, you know, nuts and bolts of the infrastructure, I'm I'm engaged. I want to have those kind of conversations. I want to talk about strats, um, technology from a strategic standpoint. So the everyday IT director sale has to want to then allow, again, their own mental capacity to think about that. You can't be so buried in the weeds, focus on every single new virus definition and all that kind of stuff and being and have 19 different Microsoft credentials and certifications. Um, you got to have other certifications so that you can really look at these technology from a strategic standpoint. So let me switch gears a little bit here. Um, philanthropy and, and grant makers for the last couple of years have really been um, focused on this concept of equity and grant making. And mm-hmm. you are a black man serving mm-hmm. as the uh, CIO of one of the largest foundations in the country. Do you feel like you're beginning to see more people of color being given the opportunity, especially in, in the world of technology, to take on more leadership at large foundations or nonprofits for that matter? So while there is great diversity, or I think at least um, growing diversity with more people of color in the grant making space, when you now layer that with technology grant making, that's when it starts to get far um, more sketchy. I think when you take technology and not talk about tech companies, Mm-hmm. And you talk about every day, like I'm, I'm part of a consortium, other CIOs here in Northeast Ohio. And I can tell you the number of women that are CIOs at major companies. They may not be the CIO at Facebook, but they are the CIO at a bank. The number of people of color who are maybe CIO for their public school district or for their city, for city hall or for the housing authority. Or for that. So again, I think sometimes we focus on, we say tech, we think about the Googles and Facebooks and the Instagrams and and others of the world. But when you talk about technology, you know, with Fortune 500, public sector organizations, stuff like that, it becomes a tad bit more diverse, not fully diverse, but at least a tad bit more diverse. So Leon, let me ask a question. So you were describing that you're seeing more Um, women and people of color serving in leadership roles, like in other areas, maybe not, maybe not focused on technology at a grant making organization, but at a school um, or a bank, like what do we need to do as a sector to start bringing more of these, I'm sure, highly qualified individuals like into the fold? That's always a good question, a compelling question, because part of it is when you have to introduce the that this is there is an opportunity in this industry for technologists. I think many of us, 
I didn't go to school for this. And I didn't know that this was an opportunity. It was, I stumbled across it, as I told you earlier in the interview, I'm talking with a recruiter. I would have never ventured. I would have been still looking at Fortune 500 companies or looking at public sector organizations, like working for the county, working for the city, working for the public library system, things of that nature that are far more visible. I mean, we, especially when you start talking about philanthropy, we're a little bit, you know, low key. We're not, you don't see you don't see um, commercials for the MacArthur Foundation running all over the ad. You don't see um, billboards promoting the Walton Family Foundation. We're kind of low key in that particular state. So how do people know about us? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's. I think it's definitely a challenge. But you know, to, listening to the way that you're describe it, like I actually feel like that's a competitive advantage. And some of the best CIOs that I've come across in this sector, like uh, Katie Neiman, right? She mm-hmm. she worked uh, for the Houston Zoo before becoming the chief information officer of the um, Houston Endowment, I think it is. So, you know, like it feels like maybe it's actually better for us in terms of philanthropy if we do find people from outside of of our uh, sort of walled garden. Well, there definitely is an opportunity because, as I said before, for for individuals who may be hitting a, a, a ceiling where they're currently at or in the industry that they're at to make a lateral move, where you get more exposure, more autonomy, more opportunity to do a lot of other things. But that would mean that we'd have to go find them. I always joke, I was listening to this one commentator talk about how when everybody's talking about, you know, use the argument that, well, we can't find good people because the pipeline um, for people of color is so, are so thin. But then they say, yeah, but when you're looking for a football player, a basketball player, you can find them in the backwoods of Mississippi without without blinking. So sometimes we have to go out and recruit these people. So let's go to where they're at. Let's go to their affinity groups and market and, and interview for them during doing job fairs and things nature, as opposed to sitting back and just posting it on LinkedIn, Indeed, or our affinity group um, advisory boards that they're not part of. I mean, I was lucky that because I was part of the tag affinity group that I stumbled across this position <laughs> um, at the Cleveland. <laughs> Literally, I found it on the tag advisor, but after the job posting had was wrapping up on the last day, and I said, whoa, whoa, wait about what about me? Yeah. So if we really want it, then we have to go after these individuals and we have to go to where they are. Yeah, totally agree with you, Leon. And, you know, I, I applaud the nonprofit sector for all of the discussion that's taking place these days around equity um, and um, and inclusion um, and access. But at some point as well, like this has to go beyond writing a resource guide. It has to go beyond like talking about it on the websites. And we have to start putting some action behind the words. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, um, you know, Leon, I, I mentioned earlier, like I, I love talking to you because I feel like uh, you are, are equally interested in innovation and emerging technologies. Um, so let's talk for a moment about uh, the world of crypto and blockchain and NFTs and and DAOs and uh, decentralized finance and the metaverse. Like, what does all this have to do with the nonprofit sector? Well, the key, well, what I will say is that is TBD. But here's what I will say. So there's this concept called a Mara's law, a Mara's law, A-M-A-R-A's law. And it, the premise of it is that we tend to overhype something in its formative years and underhype it or undervalue it once it really get, gets its sea legs. Yeah. 
And right now with things like NFT, crypto, blockchain, and so forth, it's, it was so overhyped in 2019, 2021, and, and, and going on that Again, because it didn't catch right away, like 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 lightning, like the internet did, and start and exploded right away because it was commercialized, and you had that that super app like email or that super app like um, Facebook and stuff like that or WhatsApp. People now get lukewarm with it, and I, and I think we just need to keep pressuring through. So there is going to be a home for crypto in the nonprofit space beyond just taking crypto. <laughs> There's going to be yeah. a role for it. We're not quite sure what that is right now because all the case studies and the accidental um, um, experiences that we say, hey, we can try this and try this. And now we got something that's truly viable and valuable. There will be place for NFTs in nonprofits and in philanthropy. We just haven't really figured it out just yet. We're still, we're still in that hype curve right now. So I can't go out because other people that are true futurists that can tell you, well, read the signs and read the signals and here's where we're going, all that sort of stuff. I can't predict that, but I know that there's something there. We just have to keep studying it, keep keep going forward to it. And at, the, at some point in time, something will click. And the more that we've already studied it, researched it, pilot it, prototype with it, play with it, experiment with it, the better position a particular nonprofit or a foundation would be once it really does catch fire. Yeah, for sure. So like, let, let's dovetail that into uh, the world of community foundations. So mm -hmm. I have been really curious to see like, what's next for community foundations. So, you know, if you look back over the last several years, there's been this explosion of DAFs, yeah. And, and, and it feels to me like community foundations are really like competing head to head with like Fidelity Charitable and Schwab Charitable and, you know, a thousand other DAFs that have all sprung up. So like what do community foundations in, in particular have to do to be more competitive and to evolve? Well, two things. One, we can't um, sit on our laurels and use the same argument that we've always used that about we know the local community better than anybody else. That was always our mantra is that, well, you're coming and you're going to open up a DAP with the, with the Cleveland Foundation or with the Silicon Valley Community Foundation or with the Toledo Community Foundation or the Boston Foundation, because we know the local community like no one else. Fidelity doesn't know, um, well, they might know Boston, but Fidelity doesn't know Tulsa, Oklahoma, like Tulsa, you know, Community Foundation knows it. That's going to eventually kind of become weaker and weaker with things like big data, artificial intelligence, gleaming all that information where you don't need to be an expert in that little community. You just need to know enough. Right. <laughs> and, and it's going to be, it's going to be, we're going to be victims of good enough <laughs> um, where again, I don't have to pay that additional price point to place my DAP with you community foundation. I can go um, with a lower price point with Fidelity because they're basing it on volume um of transactions and then we will lose out so we can't sit up we can't be too lax about that that's where again now what we're talking about investing in technology and trying to look and see how the fidelities and the vanguards and and others are leveraging technology and what can we learn from them and how can we kind of replicate that ourselves maybe on a smaller scale but we can kind of keep pace with them so we don't become victims of good enough right so uh, you are on the board of directors for TAG. You're mm -hmm. on the board of directors for N10. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if I'm missing any other major organizations out there that are taking advantage of your expertise, but uh, 
you know, that's pretty fantastic. I'd love to hear, like, what is your experience in, in terms of serving on these boards? Well, serving on Intense Board, that was where I kind of um, basically cut my teeth working with nonprofits. When I went to go work in a nonprofit field, I was back in Michigan helping small and mid-sized nonprofits throughout the state of Michigan leverage technology. So Intense was my tribe. That's where I went to go figure out what's going on in the field of technology, what kind of tools and solutions were being offered, discount prices and all that kind of stuff. So I can boil a lot of that down and then talk for the 10 or 15 minutes or for the one hour that executive director had time to give me to help inform him or her with how they ought to be positioning their technology ecosystem. So I had a long history with Intend, working with them on that standpoint, speaking at a lot of their conferences, helping them out with their conferences and so forth. And But because what the work that I was doing, I had exposure to community foundations and private foundations as well helping them out. And I developed a decent rep- relationship with the Kellogg's and the Kresge Foundations and the Skillman Foundation and the CS Mott Foundations on looking at data. Because I was looking at, well, here's how nonprofits are leveraging data. If you want to know how your grantees are collecting data, what kind of tools they have, their skill sets, then I, I'm the person to tell you because I'm running all over the state of Michigan. I know what they're using. I know what they're not using. So that gave me that exposure to now helping foundations better understand when they want to create some kind of metadata warehouse of information to look at the impact in the state of Michigan. That's where that connection came in there. That's where I got introduced to TAG as well, because some of my own clients providing back office tech support were your very small community foundations that didn't have staff. I wanted to know, well, what kind of tools do community foundations use? What's so special about community foundations? So that's where I got introduced to the TAG community. And then when I became the CIO of a community foundation, I immediately jumped in and said, okay, now I found another tribe to be part of. You know, like my my background in in terms of uh, working at grant making organizations has been, uh, you know, I worked at Walmart Foundation, I worked at uh, the Walton Family Foundation. These are big organizations, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it just feels like when we talk about like what's happening in the world of philanthropy tech, we tend to center on what's going on at the Gates Foundation, what's going on yeah. at the MacArthur Foundation or the Cleveland Foundation. We're not necessarily, you know, looking at what's happening with these uh, grant makers who have a total of seven employees, you know, and who are working with nonprofits that have seven employees, right? Like, I feel like we're in a sense, we're kind of doing them all a disservice. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I look just to the right and to the left of me. I have I have a communication one county over the Lorraine Community Foundation that has a staff of maybe six or seven people. And then you go down south of me, I have the Akron Community Foundation. They may have a staff of, you know, 10 or 12 people, whereas we're now hovering over 90. Uh, Now, the technology that they're using probably pales in comparison to the technology that we're using or that we have the opportunity to leverage. When you start talking about things like cybersecurity, my goodness, you know, the, our cybersecurity budget compared to their cybersecurity budget, it, you know, it pales in comparison as well. So you are absolutely right. And that's one, that is one argument that I try to make when we talk about trying to do things like fix the form and, and, um, and do other kind of things that a lot of times when we're talking about the grantee, the nonprofit, they're just not getting dollars from one foundation, from one community foundation. They're getting dollars from the city, from the state, especially if they're in mental health, substance abuse, or social services. They're getting more of their money from the government than they are from philanthropy. And we're not going to change the government as far as fixing their form. <laughs> um, um, so I try to take a pragmatic approach to that and say, okay, unless we hit a certain inflection point where 20% of us or more are all agreeing to do this, 
then the stick to itiveness of any of these endeavors are going to be very, very small, um, unless you go some kind of a cohort model where you're going to pick eight or nine nonprofits, and you're going to invest in those nonprofits, and then you're going to tailor your systems, and they're going to tailor their systems so that you all can go scale and go fast type of thing. Short of that, then yeah, the fact that, you know, the top five, the top five largest foundations agree to do something, but they don't fund in Cleveland. They're not involved with United Ways of America or the local United Ways in greater Cleveland or Detroit or whatever. Then I question how much can really, what kind of impact, what kind of change can really be done? Not discounting it, keep pushing forward. But then I, I just ask a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense. You know, like, I, d I don't think that most of us realize, like, how many awards your typical nonprofit receives over the course of a year, right? And how challenging it can be for that nonprofit to manage all of the administrative work of applying for those grants and providing progress reports and impact data back mm -hmm. to everybody who has given them, you know, a handful of dollars to to do their work. And so to your point, like, you know, I don't I don't know what the ultimate answer is here. I think we need the the Cleveland Foundations and the MacArthur Foundations of the world to like help set the uh, the tone, you know, but I also feel like we're really missing out by not taking greater advantage of all of these smaller grant makers as well, who are quite mm -hmm. frankly, like are scrappy and they're innovative and they're doing things, you know, in, in a way that is like just so much faster than so many of the large grant making organizations that have 50 years of process built up. Right. And that might be where I'm always interested in looking at things, you know, from an inside out perspective. Maybe that maybe that is where we need to focus our attention on how can we help the, the, lower, the next tier of, of grant makers work with us and do the kind of work that we're doing or leveraging kind of technology and taking advantage of the kind of technology that we're taking ourselves. Yeah, totally agree. So it's been such a fun discussion. And thank you so much for spending the time with me here. I can't wait to see you. I know we're both going to the uh, Social Innovation Summit in D.C. in a couple of months. So we'll, uh, we'll get a chance to hang out. Yeah, I will definitely be there. Awesome. I will be there, too. So uh, hopefully our listeners uh, will track us down uh, in the bar at night and hang out with us and uh, tell us what they thought about this podcast. Great. Well, always great chatting with you, Sam. All right, Leon. Same to you, my friend. Thanks. Thanks to you for joining us today. Do check out the episode notes to learn more about Leon, Sam, the Cleveland Foundation, TAG, and N10. Impact Audio is edited and produced by Jordan Marvin, Laura Steele, and yours truly. Submittable is a cloud-based social impact platform designed to help your team make better decisions and have a bigger impact. We'd love to partner with you to maximize social good and create lasting change through smarter technology. Find out more at submittable.com. And until next time, take good care.